You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Turning to the Mystics. We're in Season 7, and we're turning to Meister Eckhart. And I'm here with Jim, and we've got our fabulous producer, Corey, in the background supporting us. And uh, we're going to be reflecting on Jim's second talk on Meister Eckhart. Welcome, Jim. Yes, yes, good. Good to pick this up again and move on together in Eckhart. Well, you covered a lot of ground in that session, and I hope that if I don't delve into an area that someone's interested in, that they'll send in their questions because we do that special session at the end of the season where we take questions from people who have listened to the season. And so there's just a lot of a lot of good stuff in this session, so I'm sure others will add their own questions and help help us all delve deeper into this topic. So the frame we're in, you're guiding us through aspects of Meister Eckhart's teaching. And I just wanted to kind of feed back to you what I'm hearing is the frame and just help help me understand it. So there seems to be four aspects to Eckhart's teaching. The first one is the ultimate or divine nature of our existence that we can experience. And then he's what you described as diagnosing a dilemma, that we're estranged from experiencing this reality. And then Eckhart offers a path where we can be delivered from this dilemma, which you've named as the path of detachment. And then Eckhart talks about the birth of the word in the soul, which I think you describe as a conscious state what life starts to look like when we experience this divine nature of our existence kind of coming full circle back to that. Yes, that's right. He, he starts out by bearing witness to um, the divine origins of our very existence and to God, infinite reality, giving itself to us as our very reality in our nothingness without God. So that's the, that's the God-given, godly nature of our situation. Next, he talks about that we've been, that we're exiled for the experience of that because the powers of the soul, our faculties are to think, to remember, to love, to see, to touch. Because they're estranged from the ground, they're exiled from it, and therefore, in our experiential day-by-day self, we're, we're not aware of this div- ever-present divinity of ourself that alone is ultimately real. So that whole image of the person looking in a mm-hmm. mirror, uh, the, and that's our predicament. So then he says, well, once we see this predicament, then what's, what's the remedy? Like, what's the path? in which we're healed from all that hinders us from living in an habitual state of the divinity of our life, which is the birth of the word and the soul. And he's charting out that path. And this is his language for what each mystic in his or her own way marks out that same Mm -hmm. path. You know, this is kind of the mystical, spiritual worldview of the mystical traditions of the Christian faith in Christian terms. It's also continuous with the mystical traditions of all the way great world religions. 
It's a universal inside understanding of ourselves. And he's going to offer us a method, which you'll go over in the next talk. So I'm not going to focus, I'm going to follow where you went in this talk. So the method is this idea of the path of detachment, um, which is you're going to go into detail about in, in future talks. Yes, and I'd say this too. I'm, I'm spending time where I said with all these mystics, there's a vision aspect, mm -hmm. which is the spiritual worldview of, of, of mystically awakened Christianity. And then the path is a, is, a, is a kind of a method in a way, like how do I concretely stabilize myself mm -hmm. in that? So I've been spending a lot of time in the vision aspect, the kind of the poetry of it, the insight of it, such a, such a broad and rich understanding. So in the, in the next session, we'll get into the concreteness of a day-by-day -day practical thing that's open to all of us that we can practice that. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to that. And in this session, we'll focus on this vision aspect like you did in that last talk. You talked about that people are graced with this dilemma. You, I think you said Eckhart is talking to those of us graced with this dilemma, the seeker's dilemma, and it's a gift to live in this dilemma. And I'm, I'm wondering why you say that. What's the gift of it? Yes, my understanding of it is he's saying, yes, there is this way in which we were um, in this realm of a, the powers completely exiled from the ground, that we were real unto ourselves without God. Everything around us is like real all by itself without God. And that we're attached to that. See, because we think that's all that we are, we're afraid to mm. lose it. That's why we're afraid to die. That's why we're afraid to... Then I think he says, well, then uh, faith comes in and God illumines the powers of the soul. So when we see through Christ, when we hear that God loves us, through the power of the Spirit who dwells in our hearts, we're empowered to know that God does love us. There's an experiential understanding. And when we know that God's infinitely in love with us, God is love, infinitely in love with us, and we're God's beloved, then we're empowered, the Spirit in our hearts, we're empowered to know that we are loved. So we, we understand that we're infinitely understood we learn to love the love that infinitely loves us, and so on. And so the powers are kind of transformed or illumined by faith. And they're more um, closer proximity to the ground. But it's still, it's like in a mirror darkly, you know, an obscure certainty. And so we live this path of faith, discipleship, your life, my life, live our life. And as we mature in that, keep maturing in that, that we reach a point where in this reflective consciousness in the powers illumined by faith, the ground starts shining through. Mm. So he says, I, I, something uh, flashed before me. And I see, if only I could seize hold of it, I would possess all truth. See? So this is, but I know not what to make of it. See, I, I know it happened, but I know not what to make of it. But I'm lured on. He said, we must sigh for it. And that's the dilemma. Yes. I have seen within the powers of my soul illumined by faith the ground that, that is the infinite ground transcending all my powers. And it has shined through and revealed itself to me. And now that it's revealed to me, I can tell that I long to abide there mm -hmm. in the ground. And I don't know how. And that's a grace dilemma.
That's a, a, a gift and a gift. It's, it is, it yeah. is a great, which motivates us to turn to God for help. Well, how do I? Yes. What is the path in which I am set free from the hindrances that I might abide? In? And that's the guidance that he's giving us. And notice that's what all the mystics are doing in their own way. They kind of set up this grace dilemma, mm-hmm. which of ourselves we're powerless to resolve which radicalizes our dependence on God mm. for this union in which it is resolved unexplainably. So Eckhart's following that same path. Yeah. And that quote you mentioned earlier about that we're meant to sigh for God, and he also used the word yearn for God. So it's almost like we're, we're coming into ourselves, like we're built for that. Is that why it's a gift? Yeah, we're created for that. Yeah. He said God must do it. See, God must create someone that God can completely give God to. That's us, see, God must do it. And he says also, where he says, once we've gotten a glimpse, this grace glimpse of the ground shining through, it steals the soul from herself. That is, it, it, it steals from us the ability to be fulfilled without being able to be grounded in that which gives itself to us. That everything else is uh, infinitely not enough. He says, for the one who's had this glimpse of God, you could give up the whole world as easily as you'd give up peas and lentils. That you would, you'd see the nothingness compared to the infinity that is at once your ground also, because God already gave it to you. But we're, we're finding a way to be consciously and experientially grounded and to live by it and share it with others day by day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this section where he talks about the mystery coming like a thief, that, that we can't make it happen. But one interesting thing that you mentioned was that it can happen as we listen to Eckhart and that he wants us to become more open to that, that whatever that is, when we listen to him or when we listen to these podcasts, there's a kind of opening um, that lets that thief sneak through, I guess. You know, it's like listening to music. When you listen to music, you lean into it and you let it have its way with you. And it creates a transformed state of awareness. The same way when we attentively read a poet, like this in the rhythm of the poet's voice, we're carried through and uh, something's being conveyed to us interiorly. And so his sermons are really like that in a way. It's like reading John of the Cross or any of these people. In a way, it's like listening to music, like you're listening to the words. But in the rhythm of the words, something's being conveyed that's beyond what words can say. Mm. And because he was speaking from the depth of himself when he gave his sermons, that same depth from which he was speaking accesses the hearers. It touches that same depth in them, like each unto each. And it creates a sense of union. So we're saying here that that's what these podcasts are about. Mm -hmm. That it isn't just, Eckhart says, this experience of which I speak, this glimpse of the ground, you might have it before you leave this church today. But I'm saying... We might have it might wash over uh, over me as I speak, mm. and it might wash over the as the listeners as they listen, and that's really the substance of the talks. <laughs> it isn't a topic about something. Yes, it's about the the divinizing of the ordinariness of yourself, like it starts to shimmer and shine, and you kind of sense the truth of it, and you're drawn to go deeper. And for you, Jim Eckhart's one of those mystics that helps restabilize you in this depth that you teach from. Yes. When I was in the monastery, it didn't affect me that way. I was very affected by John of the Cross and the cloud and so on. 
But after I left the monastery and started reading the commentaries, getting into it, for, for many years now, he's been a, just a foundational teacher for me. I've been so moved by the depth and beauty of his teachings. And, uh, yeah. So I do want to delve into this idea of what it means to be real. And uh, we're talking about what it means to be real in the fullest possible sense. And there was this line that if we're talking about the fullest possible sense, then only God is real and we're not actually real. I heard that right? Yeah. So Eckhart is saying that to be real in the fullest possible sense is to be oneself, the infinity of reality itself. So when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and uh, God sends him on this mission to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, whom shall I say sent me? And Yahweh, see, I am who am. You go tell the Pharaoh that infinity of reality itself sent you, and see how that flies. <laughs> so if that's what it means to be real, then by that definition, we're not real. We're not real. I don't say they're small, but they're nothing at all. He says, but the paradox is, although we of ourselves are nothing at all, relative to this fullness of what it means to be real, that the infinite presence of God is presencing itself and giving itself to us as the reality of ourself and our nothingness without God. Mm -hmm. So that's why he says, to be trapped in the nothingness of things without God as if it's real, we're back again to the estrangement of the powers from the, from the ground. But if we start to realize that it's in my very nothingness, that the infinite presence of God is the reality of myself, given to me in my nothingness without God. That's why he says, this is why a person endowed with this sensitivity, say, would see a tree and see it in its nothingness, see that God is the reality of the tree in its nothingness without God. Just to see a tree once, you'd never have to go hear a sermon again the rest of your life. He said, every creature is like a book filled with God. And that's where you get Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. His whole awakening, he was looking at a tree. And while he was looking at the tree, uh, there was this vivid realization of the divinity of things and uh, practicing the presence. So that's the paradox, not just with ourselves, but all of reality. Yeah, so not just the way we experience ourselves, but the way we experience everything in yeah. reality. Yeah. yeah. And I would say, too, Eckhart's inviting, who will be talking about this in the next session, too, that there are certain moments, uh, the, we gave examples already, in solitude or in intimacy or art or music or poetry or birth or death, we're kind of stunned with a sensitive, like a primordial um, depth of presence this welling up in and as the very moment that we're experiencing it, unexplainably, we get, a, we get like a taste of it like that. So he's inviting us to become students of those moments and how to free ourselves from what hinders us from being habitually uh, one with those moments in our life. And you said with Brother Lawrence that was his whole path of transformation was unpacking that moment. It was. And he was the cook for the community. So among the pots and the pans, it was all God. So he wrote essays on practicing the presence of God, the how to, which is contemplative living in the midst of the world. See, how do we, you know. 
so this word that's particular to Eckhart, the Galazenheit, and this is God's self-donating love, the ge- that we are the generosity of God. Is that correct? The Galazenheit? Yes. He says uh, the act, acting and becoming are one. Mm. And so the act refers to God, the infinite, infinite presence of God, infinitely giving the infinite presence of itself away as the reality of us and of all things. And this just generosity, this see to be released, like God's released from being God. He's, he's very gloss and he's, lay, he's very laid back about being God. He's so relaxed about it. <laughs> he just infinitely gives infinity away as us. And then the act of receiving, the act of becoming, and the, God's act of giving is not an act God performs. It is the act that God is. God is the generosity, the infinite generosity. And likewise, our receiving that, the point where the two touch each other, our receiving that is not an act that we perform, it's the act that we are. Mm. We are the act of receiving the infinite generosity of God. And it's not an option. You know, We can't say, I'll pass on that, I'm busy, because if we pass on it, we're nothing. It's like you can't pass on your next inhalation. You can't, the day won't go well without it. And so we're the point verge, we're kind of bound together. And this is looking at the ground as, an, as a verb, is a perpetual activity, the ground dimension of the rhythm and flow, like the, the, the eternality of the passage of all things. So is the ground these two acts, God acting and my becoming, is that, that's the ground? Yeah. It, we, we say God's ground is my ground and my ground is God. And we see that poetically as if there's this thing called the ground. Yes. This one ground. But here he's inviting us to see that God's ground is being completely given in the act of God giving God's ground away as the act of me receiving it. I see. So now it makes it a verb. Yes. It's almost like I think why meditation practices the emphasis on the breath, like inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, and the rhythm of giving and receiving and inhaling and exhaling embodies that rhythmic activity of the ground as an act of giving and receiving, but they're one. Mm-hmm. So when he says they're one, that's where the ground is one. Oh, that's really helpful. That's even clearer to me. Thank you, Jim. I love the sentence, God acts and I become. I was thinking that could almost be like a breath, meditation practice, you know, morning meditation, God acts and I become, God acts and I become, yeah. The example that I used about the mother holding her newborn infant, or in terms of the powers, the infant is just can't walk, can't talk, can't roll over, can't. So in terms of the powers, it's like the essence of limit. But that's what makes it transparent where the ground, the essence shines out. And so when the mother clasps the infant to her breast, She's smitten or moved by that. And then also it awakens her and her capacity to experience that Mm -hmm. as a miracle. Like she knows not what to make of it. Yeah, yeah. And then it also reveals to her that that, that's what's shining out, that ground, that divinity shining out from the infant is in her, but it's buried under the complexities of her powers her schedule, her her regrets, her plans, her goals, her imaginings, her conclusions. And therefore, is it possible 
for her to be liberated, not be buried under the debris of uh, these complexities so that she too might live in this uh, essence shining out through the details of the day. So in a way, when she's holding the baby, she's witnessing uh, the God acts and my baby becomes, or like with the puppy, God acts, this precious puppy becomes, or the flower, God acts, this beautiful flower becomes, and then we might feel God acts and I become. And I think in these moments, that's why I say we're a momentary mystic. Mm-hmm. See, because that moment is like a flare of this oneness. And But I think what the grace is, I don't think everyone has those moments. They're often very fleeting and extremely subtle. But the grace is, I think, being interiorly drawn to abide there. Mm-hmm. I don't think everyone experiences that consciously. I think everyone is drawn to it in different dimensions of life through intimacy and love and family and art and serve. Everyone is, uh, these are all modalities of this. But in this transparent sense, to, to, to abide there. And I think Eckhart's talking to that in us. See? And he's, he's, his sermons are to awaken that in us and offer encouragement like a path. This is it's like contemplative spiritual direction. Can you help me understand the example you gave around fire transforming wood into itself? Because in my mind, uh, you know, the fire disintegrates the wood. The wood doesn't exist anymore. And so, but this sense of being real, like we are here in our bodies, there's some kind of, we're not completely disintegrated into God. So can you just help me understand that one? Yeah, that's true. The metaphor doesn't work when you look at it that way. Mm -hmm. Because what you lift is ashes and we're not turned into ashes. Like this. It means this, that um, the, the fire, the wood is placed in the fire. So the, the wood doesn't turn fire into the wood. Mm-hmm. The fire is turning the wood into fire. And it gets to a state of oneness in which it becomes like red hot coal. It becomes like a burning oneness. Mm. And he's using that as the example, that we're being transformed I by see. God mm-hmm. into God, mm. into nothingness without God, not just ontologically in the truth of things, mm-hmm. but in the depths of our awakening heart. See, this, this union where God and ourselves mutually disappear as other than each other. And everything kind of glows with this oneness. Yes. That makes sense. So there's there's a way that we feel in our day-to-day experience, we can feel like this separate piece of wood over here, separate to the fire of God. And so this is more pointing to the path towards union from feeling that separate objective piece of something to this sense of union, back to the ground. Yeah. That's why I use that example. We can't get the ocean into a thimble, but we can drop the thimble into the ocean. (laughs) And we are that thimble. So it isn't as if we're gathering God up and fitting God into us with our consolations, our insights, our, see, that that would be the powers uh, trying to acquire something. Mm -hmm. But rather it's relaxing into this Galazenheit, this generosity. So this infinite generosity in in the intimate simplicity of things. We realize as we lean, lean into it and yield and let it have its way with us, we, we enter into this boundaryless communion that is at once God in ourselves. So when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, the life he spoke of is God's life and our life is one life. 
so I started saying, well, how do we experience that one? Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. When you use that quote from Jesus, it sounds like we're deepening into our life, that we're actually becoming more alive. So it's it's hard to place these words like we're moving into nothingness, poverty, with this sense of actually deepening into our lives. Can you help me put those together? You know, for a couple of years, I was one of the Christian speakers with the Buddhist Christian Conference in Boulder, Colorado, Chakram Trumper Rinpoche, who met with Merton when he was in Asia. And so there are a lot of Buddhists there and Christians there and Jewish people. Thomas Keating was speaking. He says, you know, these Buddhists talk about no self, no self. Whenever you're sitting with a Zen master who teaches no self, when you're with them, they're always such a self. (laughs) You know, they're always just shining forth. They're so them, themselves. Yes. Like that. And so that's what's so strange. You get the feeling that we'd have that feeling with Eckhart to meet him. He was just very there. Mm. He was very present. But he was present as manifesting this very thing of which he speaks. Yes. So nothing's ever destroyed. Nothing's ever lost. The Everything kind of coalesces in an incarnate infinity intimately realized. So I, I'm mysteriously more myself than ever because I'm less and less able to be anything other than God being poured out as the uniqueness of me. Mm, mm. So if I if I don't live my life, nobody will. See, if I don't become whom I called to be, nobody will become a called to be. But for me to be who I'm called to be is to become the person who yields to this, is transformed in this. So God might use me to achieve his purposes in the world by me living from my heart, me being true to my own convictions, my own daily walk. So if we were to add uh, another definition to what it means to be real, we have this ultimate definition to what it means to be real. But if there's a way to be real in the way that Eckhart's guiding us towards, because there is the reality of our bodies and our lives, and and so we're actually finding a path to become more real in our humanness. Here's an example. This would be more John of the Cross because it's more like nuptial love kind of thing. That let's say when a a person is holding the beloved in their arms, Mm -hmm. the person in their love for the beloved, they're holding the beloved in their arms, but they're, they're not just holding the beloved's body. Rather, they realize the beloved's body embodies the presence of the beloved. See, And it's love that empowers the person to see that. And then that's a sacrament of God. See, That the world is God's body and that it's bodying forth the love that's uttering it into being. So that's what I mean by incarnate infinity intimately realized. I see. That the generosity of God is so complete it completely gives itself as the unexplainable stature of simple things, of standing up and sitting down, looking out the window, listening to your breath. You start realizing, Reiner Sherman says, Eckhart's talking about what happens to the person when they encounter the same. Everything's the same. Without God, it's absolutely nothing. But in the generosity of God, it's God completely being poured out as a grain of sand in your hand, breath like this and it's nothingness without God and there's an habituated sensibility 
to that, which is what Eckhart's trying to invite us to find our way. The path is, is a path that leads to an ever more habitual sensitivity to that union. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I do look forward to next week where we get some more um, guidance on, on the path aspect because it's, re- it's really only in our powers that we can be present in the world. So we, it's, it's about learning how to operate within our powers. It's in and through the powers that we transcend the powers and having mm. the final say in who we are. I see. And this idea of possessiveness of heart, which is from this conversation, what I'm hearing is uh, if we think that the powers are all we have, and so the possessiveness of heart is clinging to the powers as our as our soul self, like the image in the mirror who wanted to possess itself as a as an image. I say to another way, say along those same lines, we realize that the possessiveness of heart in the powers is I fall into thinking that this situation I'm in mm-hmm. and how this turns out has the authority to name who I am. And my ability to achieve this goal that I'm striving for or my inability to achieve, my failure to achieve it has the authority to name who I am. Mm. See, it's, it's, it's like absolutizing the relative and relativizing the absolute. See, it's the idolatry of conditioned states over the infinite generosity that transcends and permeates all conditioned states. And we can tell we're doing that when we get reactive, you know, clinging like this. So that's what we'll be talking about, how to become more like experiential self-knowledge, like the depth dimensions of psychotherapy is like this too, in spiritual direction. We, we become more consciously aware of these points where we get snagged and we use them as teaching moments like to learn about ourselves and how with God's grace to accept it and let go of its hold on us. And you had this quote from Merton that that if we could move in this direction, he said it would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish. What, what's the vanishing he's talking about there? Another mystic once said, to see this would be like a snowflake falling on a red-hot stove. Mm. Where Jesus says, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. That is that there is your God-given capacity to see your God-given godly nature and your nothingness without God. And yet you don't see. And in this lies all your fear, all your confusion, all your sorrow. But if you could see, so the prayer is, Lord, that I might see through my eyes, which you saw and everything that you saw, you would see this infinite light this infinite presence, invincibly shining bright and wholly permeating the present moment just as it is, endlessly in all directions forever. That's why Merton says in the quote, it is that place, that point there is that point of mm-hmm. contact that yeah. belongs completely to God. Mm-hmm. It is not subject to the brutalities of our will. And so no matter how confused and how broken we are, that in us belongs completely to God, remains completely God's. And God shines out. And this is why very often, Cardinal Newman says, often in life we're, we're transformed more by the acceptance of our failures than by the attaining of our achievements. Because in our failures, we despair or we go deeper. And we go deeper by seeing how through the mercy of God, we're sustained and transformed out of a moment of loss to go deeper. So there's an invincibility 
a shining bright, transcending and holy permeating conditioned states. And we're talking about interiorly seeing that. I see. Like, and I think the moments we do see it, I think like the wisdom that comes with the years, we sense it. But he's trying to uh, like deepen or enrich the intimacy with which we see it and live by it. The quote from Jesus, Jesus still faced the cruelty of the cross. So that, that at one level, the cruelty remains, but it, it's his experience was that that wasn't the final say on who he was or where, yeah, what his life was about. See, that's why the cross means anything. See, it reveals it. See, that's why God is a presence that protects us from nothing, even as God unexplainably sustained us in all things. So his torture was real, his torment was real, his death was real. And yet, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. The invincibility of the love permeating it all unexplainably was manifested perfectly in the world. That's the, uh, the example that I use. It says, the gospel says that when he died, they pierced his heart with a lance and blood and water flowed out like at the birth of a child. And then there was no more Jesus left in Jesus. And then the only Jesus that was ever really there was manifested perfectly throughout the world to this day. So when Jesus says, follow me, sounds like a great idea. Do you see where he's taking us? <laughs> see? But it's a crucifixion of our dreaded and cherished illusions that anything less than an infinite union with the infinite love of God will be enough for us. Or the illusion that this infinite generosity of God is not already perfectly given to us in the intimacy of ourselves, heartbeat by heartbeat, breath by breath. There it says in the Gospels that when Jesus died, that they pierced his heart with a lance and blood and water flowed out like at the birth of the child, which is us. It's a church. It's the... And then when the blood and water flowed out, there was no more Jesus left in Jesus. And then the only Jesus that was ever really there was manifested throughout the whole world to this day. Mm. And we're going to see this is going to be key to Eckhart on the Godhead, the infinite emptiness mm. of God. It's so full, it's empty. It's an emptiness that's pregnant with God and the world and everything. And so we're trying to be emptied of having anything. Eckhart says, as long as there's still a place in you to dwell with God, you're not yet poor. You have to become so poor that as God's going to dwell in you, God has to be the place where God dwells in you. Wow. Because as long as there's a place left where God can dwell, as, uh, we'll do that at the end, that sermon but on There's poverty. too much you, as long as there's a <laughs> Yeah, but, 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 uh, but, but I, I think that we're, we're, we're talking about something where when we listen to this or, or the talk ends where we're reading this, these little moments where we're silenced, we're just simply silenced by the depth and beauty of what was resonating in the words, beyond the words, and we're moved by it subtly. And we, we, we learn to let that have its way with us. See, we learn to be transformed into the, the realization of that, which we already infinitely are. But it, we're we're moving into the actualization of it in our experience. And it's a foretaste of eternal life. When we pass through the veil of death, it'll be in the full light of glory forever. And right now it's forever already in us, but it's, it's obscure. You know, it's subtle and deep. And uh, we're trying to dwell that way day by day in the world. And I want to say something about our conversation. Yeah. See, in a way, 
it would look as if we're kind of wandering around with just observing this, observing that, and so on. But I think to say if we could have Meister Eckhart as our spiritual director, the encounter would be like that. It's not subject matter. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not giving a lecture, and then what do you mean by this? What do you mean? But you say, uh, let me share with you what, what stirred in me when you spoke. Yeah, yeah. And let me say what I'm wondering about. And he'd engage you there. Yeah. He would meet you in, in your way because it's uh, endlessly playing itself out. Well, that's it. And the deeper levels of illumination. So the, if something's confusing but I hear it again, or like, then I'm like, oh, wow, that's... Yeah. yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Discernment. See, it dawns on us. Yeah. Yes. In the yeah. searching for it, and sometimes it dawns on us even when we weren't searching for it. Yes. And so we go to Eckhart and saying, uh, "It's there, but it's so elusive. See, how can I become more habitually stabilized and guided by this sense? But it keeps moving around on me, like this." And Eckhart would join us there with how we're specifically living our life, you know, see you next month for your next session of spiritual direction. So it always shines into our life. So each one listening to this, that's what matters. It's like listening to music. What in you is touched? What in le leads you to wonder about this or that? Or how Eckhart's helping us put words to something that matters very much, but it's very hard to put words to it. I also think hearing you in dialogue too, Jim, hearing how you sit with something and there's something like you said like listening to music like it's it there's a there's a transmission of something a way to be uh with questions a way to be with someone that's really helpful too that's why i think i compare it to psychotherapy so much because it's really so much a way of listening and then uh asking the person a question about what they just said and um in order to respond to the question, they have to pause for a moment to listen to themselves and know what to say. Mm. And then they're becoming more present to themselves in my presence. And then when they share it, I say, let me say it back. It correct, like edit it for me. And we start to form an alliance with each other, like an intimate alliance of the interiority of the person's life. And I think when we follow the mystics like this, Eckhart's sermon and journal it out or take it to prayer, it's very much like that. It's non-objectifiable, mm -hmm. depth-like intimacy that we're, he's, he's helping us find our way along the path to be stabilized in that. And that's the big point, isn't it? The non, to be non-objectifying to ourselves and to, to other things, which we tend to be in our, in our more busy kind of human state. We, we tend to objectify. Everything's two-dimensional in a way. I can say this about it. I can say that about it. In the next talk, when we're talking about the path of detachment, he talks about to be uh, as free of all images as if you were not, didn't even exist yet. Mm. And by all images, he means all internalized thoughts or ideas or conclusions about things, like factually what we know them to be. You don't reject any of it, but you're free. You're, you're detached from all of them, the non-objectifiable clarity of a, of a releasement. It's freedom from ideological living. It's freedom from this uh, set of ideas for, because it's the reality of a presence that transcends what the mind can comprehend, that the whole being can intimately realize. And then that gives a certain kind of, it's a deeper way to understand what it means to understand. 
you think, Jim, sometimes you can have the opposite of being silenced? Because sometimes when we're talking, you say something, I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like, I just want to scream. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, you want to either, it's like in deep moments of awakening, you want to br- start crying or burst out laughing. Yes. Yeah. Or it just, you can't stop it. You know, you just want to, uh, that's the, the depth of the self being moved mm. like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great feeling. It is a great feeling. It's a wonderful feeling. It's always a good reminder for me when we're talking about these, the pathway and the um, these concepts to go back to, so what can I do in my day-by-day life, which is to go back to these kind of this living life of discipleship. And, and would it be fair to say based on this discussion about our powers that we can experience faith through our powers, but we can also try and effect love through the powers. So we can try and be a loving person right now, um, calling on God's grace and support, but we can be working towards becoming more loving. This is my sense, you know, I talk about the three foundations of the contemplative way of life. Mm-hmm. So find your practice and practice it. Because it's like a daily rendezvous with God in which there's no agenda but love. And so for some people listening to the podcast, is there rendezvous with God? And then they sit with it afterwards in the afterglow of it. Because unless we commit ourselves to a daily rendezvous to, to go deeper, it's just we're just experiencing it in passing on our way to something else. Then each time the daily rendezvous ends, however it ends, we ask for the grace not to break the thread of that as we go through the day. And by doing that over and over and over, that becomes more and more realized, this underlying habitual attentiveness in the midst of a task or conversation and so on. Secondly, to find your teaching and follow it. And the teaching is a teaching that bears witness to this. And this is why we turn to the guidance to the mystics, because these are the teachings. Mm-hmm. See, they're, they're bearing witness. And they also offer a way to realize it. Not all teaching does that. Sometimes like the poetry of uh, T.S. Eliot or Emily Dickinson or Mary, they, they, they bear witness to it, but they don't necessarily tell you the way to it. Yes. Except listening to the poetry is the way to it, in a way. And so you find your teaching and you follow it. And then you find your community and enter it. And the depth of the community is God. It's also just one other person in whose presence you're knowing not alone on this path. That's all the people listening to this podcast. You know, and it spreads out in circles all over the world really. And then eventually what it leads to is find your practice and practice it as your daily life becomes practice. And the truth is the truth of your life. It's the truth of the teaching. There's no end to the guidance. There is no absence of guidance. There's only the absence of the awareness of the guidance that's always being given Mm. to be sensitized to it. How can I be led day by day? And the community then becomes the whole world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so the whole world claims us as the beloved. We includes the whole world and all of humanity and, and all of that. So that's, that's the tone of it, I think. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I do remember from Teresa of Avila and I think Eckhart too, this, this aspect of self-reflection so that we're trying to understand ourselves, know thyself through those three things that you mentioned. That's Yes. You know, when he starts through the powers, what the soul attains, she attains through her powers. If she would understand, she does that with the intellect. If she would love, she does that, and so on. 
And what he's really inviting us to do is to become a reflective person. Mm. See? Like really, how I put it, we think about this, we think about that, but we really think about thinking. I see. see? Yeah. And how can I be more consciously aware of the gift of mind? See, I, I love, I desire, but how can I become more consciously aware of and grateful for the mystery of my desire, the gift of desire? I remember but how can I, in faith, if God says, uh, uh, just as a mother will never forget the child of her womb, I will never forget you. And to know that it's revealed that God will never, never, never forget us. This is the eternality of ourself and the mind of God. And so we should become more, to the mystery of our body. I think mm -hmm. meditation, a lot of it is awareness of the body, the breathing, the body, the, the, the mystery of our body. So it's very, in a way, it's very, intimate and concrete and real. It's not some far-flung, vague idea. Yes. It's really sitting with the, the immediacy of mind, not as a theory, but my mind. My mind, my desire, my fear. What's the texture of my fears? What's my fear made out of? My The, the, the stream of my emotions. What is, and so we, be, we try to be, this is meditation practice, we become more concretely present to the mystery and immediacy of ourself that opens out upon this mystery giving itself to us as our body, as our mind, as our, yeah. Wonderful. That's a really helpful encouragement. Thank you, Jim. I, I wanted just to close, if you wouldn't mind, reading some of the quotes from that uh, final Advent sermon that you read at the end of the, the last session. It went by so quick and that was such beautiful things you were sharing, and so. This is uh, in, the, in the collected works, the uh, complete mystical works of Meister Eckhart. These resources will be listed so that people can have access to these books if they care to get them. So in the complete sermon, this is the first sermon. It's an Advent sermon. It's the first sermon in the collected sermons. Oh, Jim, before you start, by the way, I was thinking about the people who showed up for that sermon. You know, you have the people that yeah, only yeah. come to church at couple, like at <laughs> yeah, Easter yeah. and then at Christmas and maybe the people that were there every week, but I wonder if they were so blown away when they heard th these amazing words coming coming out from Maestro. You know what I think? Yeah, I, I know what I think. Yeah, I think there's some people that would just go, what? You know, I mean, you know what I mean? A lot of <laughs> yeah, they yeah. would. But I also think, and I've seen this too, where people come to a silent retreat, they've never been on anything like that ever. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I put it this way. Let's say a person was sitting there and they just fallen in love with someone, or just had a child, or their mother just died. And you could tell Eckhart was talking about the depths of what they were in the midst of. Mm, See? Wow. Like, oh my God. Do I mean he's that's that's he's invited me to and I think that's how some people are unexpectedly led to these more mystical paths. We're blindsided by it, by finding ourselves listening to someone who's speaking out of it and sheds light on an event that we're going through and offering. So, yeah, it's interesting how we find our way. Yes. We could all look back for each of us how we found our way to this. What were the awakening moments? The, how did we get end up on this path? So this is Sermon 1. So this is an Advent sermon, and he's preparing for a spiritual understanding of Christ's birth for Christmas and Advent. Here in time, we are celebrating the eternal birth 
which God the Father bore and bears unceasingly in eternity. Because the same birth is now born in time, in human nature. St. Augustine says, What does it avail me that this birth is always happening if it does not happen in me? That it should happen in me is what matters. We shall therefore speak of this birth, of how it may take place in us and be consummated in a virtuous soul whenever God the Father speaks his eternal word in the perfect soul. And then he gives a scripture quote from the Book of Wisdom he's basing his whole sermon on. When all things lay in the midst of silence, then there descended down into me from on high, from the royal throne, a secret word. This sermon is about that word. That's how he started. And so what I say in the talk then is, um, so on one hand, the, the word is born in a moment of time. And so the silence is the silence of Bethlehem in which Jesus was born in the stable. And then he says, it was born in time, which is to say, then he says, in human nature. So it was born in our experience of ourself, in our passage through time, that, that God, is through Christ, is entwined with me and interwoven with me, like the eternality of my passage through time. But I don't realize it. I don't realize it. I don't know it. And this birth in, in this moment of time and through all of time in me, is always happening in God because God the Father, like a woman in labor, is giving birth to God see, as the Word. See, because the Word was with God and the Word was God. See. So he pairs up the birthing of God inside in the interdivine life of God, the birth of God in the, in the moment of time in Bethlehem, the birth of the Word through time this, uh, and within ourselves and our nature. And then when Augustine says, but what good does it do if it doesn't happen to me? He said, all this is lovely, yeah. <laughs> but I'm late for work. You know what I mean? Or, all this is lovely, and uh, my back hurts, or I hurt. So how, how, how can I experience this? How can I realize it? And that's what the sermons are about. See, What is the path that hinders us from realizing this birth that's always happening? Oh, amazing. Amazing, amazing. It's beautiful the way he lays, like starting in a moment in time and then talking about the eternal within that framework. Oh, thank you, Jim. Yes. And uh, thank you for this season so far. It's been a real gift and I look forward to our next discussion. Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, 
and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.